0: Welcome to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. I have Bill Words with me today. Bill Words is a senior policy analyst from the Consumer Choice Center, originally from Luxembourg, but has also lived in Belgium, France, and the Czech Republic. He has written extensively about the effects of prohibition, particularly in the area of tobacco. Uh, thank you for coming here, Bill. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your position at the Consumer Choice Center? What you do, what the Consumer Choice Center does internationally, and um, also some of your writing on the topics of prohibition.
1: Sure. So the Consumer Choice Center was uh, created now almost four years ago, and our mission is to represent and stand up for the consumers who like choice. So we, you can you can sort of describe us as the Millennial consumers who want innovation. Uh, Initially, we worked a lot on the sharing economy, for example. So in Europe, all across the the continent, we experienced that governments don't like the gig economy. And they said, yeah, uh, Uber and Airbnb, they're bad bad for the the legacy uh, industry and uh, they ought to be banned. And we stand up for these consumers because the traditional consumer organizations aren't doing that. So what we do is stand up for the right of consumers, of adult individual consumers, to make their own choices on the free market. Um, my job specifically is to analyze existing legislation, so specifically when it comes from the European Union, but also national legislations in Luxembourg, and to look at the effects on consumer behavior and uh, also uh, look at it from a perspective of like how available are certain products and what is available uh, to consumers as alternatives or uh or, or in general, for products that they like for their for their enjoyment. And um, uh, these days, I work a lot on agriculture because agriculture is a very hot button issue in Europe right now. But in the past and throughout my job as a, as a policy analyst at the CCC, I've I've worked on on tobacco quite a bit, but also other prohibition uh, issues such as alcohol. Um, now, why do I call them prohibition issues? Uh, the reason for that is that. Um, Increasingly, we see more and more regulations and taxes, which make a product less available for certain people, and that's that's sort of what we like. Limiting that availability enters the realm of prohibition, and that's I think what we're going to talk about uh, a bit today. Because, uh, as as I understand, this is a, this is a particularly hot issue right now in South Africa.
0: Oh, definitely. So South Africa, for some of our foreign listeners who might not be familiar with what is happening in South Africa at the moment, uh, we are currently experiencing one of the strictest lockdowns in the world as a result of COVID-19. Well, we say as a result of, but there's other political issues uh, contributed towards it. And um, as a result, tobacco products have been banned from sale. And up to and for most of the lockdown, alcohol was also banned. And but even before that, we have had um as you mentioned, a lot of limited forms of prohibition against tobacco products and alcohol. Um, Things like um, exorbitant tax and tariffs, as well as um, limiting where it can be bought, uh, if it can be advertised. And there's also been constant threats um, to uh, um, still restrain how it can be sold further and further. Um, So you've been throughout Europe, and um, is there um, a form of diversity in how prohibition is handled um, across the civilized world? And are there varying effects?
1: I mean, as somebody who travels a lot, I see, I see different forms of all types of lifestyle regulations. So I, I remember from when I was living in the Czech Republic, the Czech Republic is very open-minded um, on, on these issues. I mean, the Czech Republic is one of the countries in Europe that has decriminalized the use of all drugs, Uh, because it doesn't see Mm -hmm. the value in law enforcement spending a lot of time on hunting down people just for the use of drugs, but rather considers it a a health issue. Um, The same as as a country like Portugal, for instance. But then you look at France, which prides itself in being uh, uh, the the richest, most developed country in in Europe, but is very, very harsh um, on all of the quote-unquote vices. So even though French people love to smoke, uh, it gets increasingly hard <laughs> to do so because there's just a limited amount of places where you're still allowed to do that. And uh, a pack of cigarettes would now cost you almost 10 euros. And um, that, of course, has had consequences. Um, these varying levels of regulation... I mean, this is so beautiful about these, these, these regulations. It's so easy to see that the harsher restrictions lead to um, ad- more adverse effects. So in France, every fifth cigarette on the market is now, uh, from the, from the black market, right? So, uh, if you go to, if you just travel to France, you arrive at Paris, North, uh, train station, you go outside. It doesn't really take you long before the first person talks to you and says, uh, we'd like to buy some cigarettes. And these are illicit cigarettes. Sometimes they're fake cigarettes. So these, like, they will have like Marlboro written on them, but they're actually not real Marlboro cigarettes cause they're illegally, uh, manufactured. Um, it's but shorter. sometimes it's also because they brought them in and didn't pay the customs duties. So uh, so there's, there's different types of, of illicit markets that get created, and you see that the countries that are more lax experience less of these adverse effects. Um, and then there's some, sometimes you have countries that do where, where people don't particularly care about the rules, right? So my my, my girlfriend uh, is from from Turkey, and in Turkey, vaping according to the law is Illegal, but in certain streets you will have five vape shops next to each other open and you can purchase all of these products um, So sometimes the the, the 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 law is very different from the enforcement I mean ultimately <laughs> this is what we need to know about enforcement because the law is only uh, the, the law is only existing insofar as it's being enforced. So across Europe. We see very very different uh, uh, implementations of different rules, but the problem is that the underlying sentiment and I think that is where the problem lies. The underlying sentiment is that the government ought to take care of you. And the government is the the institution that knows what's best for you. And I think that's what I really want to challenge in my advocacy.
0: Oh, definitely. So in in the South African context, um, there's definitely been these nanny state vibes. That uh, So our minister of police, uh, Becky which I'm butchering that name, but... Um, forgive me and he has uh, started this crusade against alcohol where they talk about all the crime that alcohol contributes to and also there's been this huge um apparent justification that they say well look at all the crime, the crime rate has dropped after um alcohol was uh, banned and everyone then points out well firstly that your your date is completely wrong because the police aren't even showing up for work because of the pandemic and um, so, no, there's no one there to even take records. And uh, two, of course, crime has dropped. People, the entire country is under house arrest, but they use all these small, just they nitpick data uh, um, from everywhere just to justify their um, weird benevolence to try to uh, um, tell adults what to do. Um, it gets worse that um, you may have read about what our um, So NDZ, I'm not going to give her full name because I don't want to attract her attention, like Sauron's eye, if you (laughs) um, touch touch the ring. Um, She um, has basically been rejecting calls to unban tobacco in South Africa. And one of the reasons she cited was a um, a petition of only a few thousand people that apparently said, no, we want to keep this banned. So it was like 2,000, 4,000 people. I can't remember the exact data. But this was against petitions of literally millions of people saying unban it. But they said that we mustn't dis- uh, uh, violate the rights of these this uh, petition of a few thousand people, even if we by doing so, we're violating the rights of a few million. Wow. But it even gets worse than this because someone went into the actual data of this petition and they found out that... Barely a minority of that actual few thousand people actually were pro maintaining the prohibition. Most of them were actually anti the prohibition as well, or were completely neutral.
1: So, um, well, that's quite, that's quite, it's quite, a, it's quite an odd way to go about these monumental decisions. I mean, if I mean, I've, 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 this is, this is, uh, this is quite incredible if you, if you think about it. Um, I mean ultimately right I, I i don't I don't know the exact smoking rate of South Africa but I, 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 from, from what I know it's it's higher than the European average yet it's still just a minority of people who actually do smoke regularly um, and if you went by the logic of the 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 majority is is king in whatever decision in whatever limiting of your individual rights then you could do a lot of um, very unfair things, and, and and I think and I think that's why we have the concept of individual liberty because uh, we don't let the democratic will prime everything. There are there are there are individual choices that you should be able to make no matter what, and and I think this 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 is among them. Now, of course, um, and and I assume that you're, you're, the politicians in South Africa also cite this. They say, um, well, smoking is 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 bad for you and. Um, because there's this addiction um, factor counted in, can we really assume that you make your own choices? And if you go down that route, you end up with a lot of questions you ought to ask yourself because the same can be said for alcohol, the same can be said for sugar, the same can be said for coffee. And, uh, and, and, and eventually, if, if, if you take this as a principle that the government ought to protect you from your own choices then um then first of all you you limiting people quite a bit and you assume that the government is the best arbiter of these best choices i mean i think all of us i'm not sure if uh, how this is in south africa but africa but i remember from primary school that we were still given the food pyramid that endorsed eating bread and uh, and, uh, and, and 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 basically endorsed a dietary system that was that today is c- mm. is considered the exact opposite of what we ought to do. So whenever the government is in charge of public health, we actually see that they get a bunch of things wrong. Um, and, and, exactly. and the government has tried to get people off of smoking for a long time and hasn't really managed. And even the most draconian measures has actually not helped to get people off of smoking. It's actually rather new, innovative methods. And people having that conversation, like, there is nobody helped by the fact of smoking three packs of cigarettes a day. I don't endorse that in the slides. I don't th- that's not good for you. But I also don't think that we ought to go into this demonization of everybody who wants to light a cigarette once in a while. And, and, and I think finding that middle ground is really not what governments have been particularly good at.
0: I think at the, the principle at the end of the day is that people need to have the right to make bad decisions. And even then, it's quite arrogant to say that it's a bad decision to begin with. Um, Because, as we know, the government has been wrong before. We have been wrong before. And I think that um, the liberal, classical liberal, liberal democratic position is that we do not have the knowledge or right to tell people what to do because there's a chance we could be wrong. And this is what uh, nanny state governments just really don't understand is that they will see a little bit of data and then they will just jump on it and um, a lot of time um, and they will, sorry and they will just use it to try to be benevolent. and I think uh, quite a few of them are benevolent. I think that they truly think they're doing the right thing. I don't think South African politicians actually think they're doing the right thing though. Um, we are they're infamously corrupt. And the reason I don't say the person's name is because I don't want to attract any sort of court attention, even though I would be fine because there's enough evidence that they I could actually possibly win it, uh, that they'd probably be thrown out of court. And also I don't think they would actually target me. I'm being arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, that uh, there's quite a few politicians in our government who are in the National Command Council. That's this um, impromptu council they've set up to basically to run the lockdown. They all dress up in camo. Um, South Africa's become a truly African nation, um, run by a military gunter. The CEO, Sounds very dystopian. Run by a military gunter. Very. Um, the problem is at least dystopians tend to have a little bit of efficiency. We are an in- inefficient, inept dictatorship. Um, but uh, that aside... There's uh, huge, obvious connections between illegal cigarette smugglers and cartels, and um, uh, people high up in government. So, and um, it's almost completely obvious that this entire lock uh, um, prohibition has been u- is being used that um, so these politicians can basically sell cigarettes. Uh, um, so their cronies can sell cigarettes illegally and then give them a cut which is going to go into their personal funds rather than, um, them having to scrape, hide, take money off of the budget, which would usually come from taxes on cigarettes. So it's all just for personal wealth. And also it's, um, there's a little bit of a a, a theory. It's not, it's, um, might sound like conspiracy theory to some, but if you look into some uh, African national Congress and see, um, recent history, they have this huge leadership struggle at the moment between, um, the Zuma faction, not the Zuma faction that we know, the NDZ faction. I think It's going to be quite obvious who this person is. <laughs> um, but And then there's basically the, um, I, was, I call it the Ramaphosa faction, but it isn't really run by him. It's, um, but it's run by the people who just don't like the power of the other faction. Now, both factions are actually terrible people. They're both corrupt. They're both have terrible ideas. They're both nanny staters in their own way. And they're both severe socialists in their own way. But the one side just wants to loot to more than the other, and also they both want power over the treasury and they both want power over the party. So as a result of this, they're preparing for um, coups and internal party elections. And um, there's a big suspicion that a a big reason why they're pushing this tobacco prohibition for so long is so the people can get law of kickbacks from the smugglers and use that for their war chests that they're going to use to fund their campaigns to take over the party. So I think we've seen here that there's definitely the public health um, uh, um, desire that, and I think that there are politicians around the world who truly believe themselves benevolent, but there's also the selfish reasons. And uh, this leads me to a uh, question, which is the background of prohibitions. So I actually do know a little bit about like the alcohol prohibition in the 1920s, how the temperance movement moved to- towards that. But I don't actually really know why people demonize tobacco so much, um, because, as you've mentioned, there's so many other unhealthy things. It's kind of just very selective to just be targeting tobacco itself. Um, when there's coffee, there's fizzy drinks, there's um, fast food and um There's also jogging too much, um, which is also very unhealthy and will break your knees. Um, But can you just um, uh, tell me and the listeners a little bit about the background of tobacco prohibition? Why do governments historically feel the sensational need to stop people from putting pieces of paper in their mouth and lighting them on fire?
1: Right. I mean, it's, a, it's so this is there is an ideological background to nanny statism. Um, so in the 18th century, you had a movement called clean living. And the clean living advocates um, argued that their view of how what you are allowed to consume is the moral view. So these are the moral lifestyles. And um, you had people like uh, Sylvester Graham, uh, these were dietary reformers, and they said that, so just to give you a list and they, they were demonizing sugar, spices and for instance like especially masturbation. Like masturbation was like the thing that they were arguing against like this mm-hmm. is the ultimate evil and it's not even evil mm-hmm. from like a back. moral standpoint. They even said that medically it does lead to insanity. Um, but at least the uh, clean living advocates of those times they were religiously preaching their lifestyle. They would not arguing for enforcing it. It was only in the the 20th century, in the progressive era, that the clean living lifestyle came back and also came with advocates saying, we need to use the government to enforce it, which is why in some countries in Europe, even women were not allowed to drink tea um, because it was seen that women couldn't possibly handle the effects of tea. Now this all seems very ridiculous to us, but it, it gets to more recent examples, and there is a lot of parallels we can draw. It was the clean living uh, movement that led to the prohibition of alcohol in the United States, which lasted for 13 years and has caused incredible damage. I mean, some of the most famous criminals in, in world history, m- most specifically Al Capone, rose up out of the the prohibition of alcohol, and 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 it was it is widely accepted. I mean, this is not, this is not uh, a, a historical mystery. We know exactly that, uh, specifically in Chicago, the, 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 the trade with illegally manufactured alcohol um, propped up these criminal gangs. And not only did it prop up these criminal gangs, it was terrible for consumers. If you go to a bar today, you you go into the bar or you, let's say you purchase alcohol in the supermarket. in all of these cases, you assume you act on the, uh, the assumption that you're being sold a product that will not poison you. Mm. but if you are in the illegal, if you if you purchase bootleg alcohol, you have absolutely no idea, and you don't have a contractual, con, con, contractual agreement with your seller, so there's no way to actually seek. Uh, uh, damages if there's a problem with your with your product. So, of course, that is the huge problem of prohibition. And so these clean living advocates still exist under a certain form today. Today, they call themselves public health advocates. And many of them act on the level of uh, the United Nations. So the, the WHO, the World Health Organization, has something called the FCTC. This is the Framework Convention on Tobacco Control. And this affects all countries that are a member of the United Nations. And in this FCTC, they make recommendations to countries as to how they should act uh, on alcohol, on, on not, not, not alcohol, just tobacco. And they, they, they say, well, tobacco is an increasing problem, especially in the developing world, where people are actually smoking more while smoking rates actually going down in Europe and the United States. And this is a huge problem. We need to address this. And then they they, they recommend all uh, types of uh, policies. Now, you could say, well, what do I care what the UN says? It turns out that institutions such as the WHO not only advocate in certain countries for these policies, they pay for the countries to implement these policies. In Georgia, the United Nations was advocating so this is the, the Republic not 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 the US state this is the Republic of Georgia they were arguing for the introduction of plain packaging and they promised the Republic of Georgia um, more foreign aid if they more more development aid if uh, it were to implement these policies so so it, it, it might as well be that some policies are related to international organizations promising promising support and and I think this is where we completely um, forego the concept of democratic power, where you know exactly what your politicians were going, are going to do because you elected them based on a electoral program or manifesto. We completely forego that, and we go into uh, nanny statists who are beyond any checks and balances, and I think that's, that, is, that is very worrying.
0: Um, have you seen the BBC uh, comedy series Yes, Minister?
1: I have it's, uh, it's 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 amazing. Yeah. I recommend everyone listening that to to to, to watch it. It's, it's amazing. Definitely.
0: So uh, and so basically the reason I bring it up is um, it exposes um, especially it exposes the background of UK government but it actually applies to most countries in the world. Especially that it kind of exposes that governments typical uh, democratic governments aren't really run by elected officials. They're mostly run by unelected bureaucrats who have their own ideas and cultures and ideologies that so they basically impose on us, and this is basically what you've been saying now. And, um, and I think it actually leads on to, very well onto a, a more controversial topic because I think most reasonable people, even if they think that smoking is unhealthy, they think people should still be allowed to do it. They might have these weird, limited prohibition ideas like prohibitive syntax. Um, in fact, is it called syntax outside of South Africa? That's our tax on alcohol and cigarettes.
1: Uh, well, we call it syntaxes. They don't particularly call it that. Uh, the, the advocates for them usually uh, call it public health measures or something like that. It's all, it's all fake. Um, 1984 yeah.
0: um, <laughs> methods there. So at least Africa is a little bit honest because they literally call it syntax. Um, well, I, which I I've always found a little bit judgmental. <laughs> um, but uh, so a more controversial thing. So. If we accept that people should be allowed to make bad decisions like drinking and uh, um, smoking which we've also admitted is not necessarily bad decisions what about um, currently illegal narcotics um, cocaine heroin hard drugs should consumers have the right to be able to purchase those um, uh, uh, purchase drugs and consume them
1: I, I think I think what we've seen across Europe is that the, the recognition of governments that, in all areas, prohibition doesn't work when it comes to narcotics. Interestingly, they don't apply the same logic to other products, but there is a recognition there. You know, we in, in um, all across Europe, we see the the um, needle exchange programs becoming more and more uh, popular. Uh, the city of Zurich, actually, uh, there the city gives out uh, uh, free. Heroin that was very controversial back in the days when they started this program, but they've seen that uh, um, that, that that clean uh, production of, of heroin and 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 and, and cle- giving the users clean needles actually has have had very very, very beneficial effects. Um, now of course this is a conversation that that, that goes way beyond uh, alcohol and tobacco. And, uh and, and ultimately as somebody who believes in the individual uh, liberty of, of of consumers i believe that there ought to be a conversation about uh, first the medical use but then also the personal use of, of these products I think I think what we've seen is that like when you bring this up a lot of people are a bit taken aback and they say well I mean you can't possibly legalize some of these some of these narcotics but they also need to understand that these products many of these products are in are so terrible for you because they have been banned and it's only in the illegal market that you can get them um, there is something called the potency effect so this is something we've seen with the with the prohibition of cannabis so if you if you're you a drug dealer and you sell cannabis on the streets um, you're already breaking the law by selling cannabis so the law doesn't make a distinction whether you sell strong a uh, high THC content uh, or not. So drug dealers have been incentivized to sell stronger weed because the, the consumer says, well, if I'm already breaking the law, if I can already get in trouble for doing this with the drug dealer, I might as well get the strong weed. And this is how we've seen that the potency of cannabis actually goes up and the potency of cannabis goes down where it's being legalized. So I think this would also, um, if we went on, the, on a path to decriminalizing or even legalizing certain narcotics, what we would see is that the potency of some, some of these uh, drugs would go down because there's no need to do it in secrecy and there's no need to get the maximum value out of your uh, one-time purchase and, and, and I think that there would be a very good thing I think that what we've now seen in Portugal uh, where HIV infections uh, have have dropped considerably since 2001 when Portugal decided to to decriminalize all drugs um, uh, that, that, that is very good we also see that the decline in the use of all, uh, previously uh, illegal narcotics uh, going down. The only consumption that has actually gone up in Portugal is, is the consumption of, of cannabis, um, where you had consumers that were actually not consuming it because it was illegal. I mean, I, I, I would generally say this. If you're the kind of person who needs ecstasy to be legal to consume it, you're probably not the kind of person to take ecstasy in the first place. Um, the, 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 the illicit market <laughs> is uh, caters to something that people want. And we need to understand with all products, be it tobacco, alcohol or, 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 or drugs in general, just because you make it illegal doesn't make it go away. And that is very important for the political class to understand. Um, things don't disappear because you make them illegal. You actually are, you do two things. First of all, you make the product much worse. And second of all, you uh, feed uh, criminal gangs. And that is terrible for your, uh, for your, for your safety situation in your country
0: exactly, and it applies to uh, firearms as well, and applies um, South Africa in particular with its uh, prohibition on tobacco. If people want something, they're going to find a way to get it. So rather bring those products into the light, where we can there's accountability. So the products are of a high standard, and also that the money is not going to be used to fund illegal a a legal enterprise, because what people don't realize is the problems with gangs especially in like south africa is not that they're running prostitution or selling drugs that's actually not the problem the problem is they're using their drug and prostitution money to then wage gang wars which are killing people in the
1: crossfire exactly and and, and, and it also so, it also fuels it also fuels things such as human trafficking i know that the the center for anti uh, for anti terrorism in france found that uh, tr- uh, the illicit the illicit uh, tobacco trade fueled 20% of international terrorist organizations. So if you if you're buying a pack of illegal smokes in the train station area of Paris, uh, your money might actually go to ISIS. Now, I mean, today ISIS is in a bit of a different state, but I mean you can you can apply this to any uh, uh, um, uh, any terrorist organization and I think that's very worrying and that's also what consumers ought to be aware of and that's what specifically governments need to be aware of when they make these policies. Like there are adverse effects. It's not because you passed the decree or law that you solved anything. You need to have, um, if you want to actually solve the problem, you need to have an adult conversation with everyone to to explain effects of products. And I think for those people who think that there is a role for government to play in um, health, the health of consumers, then it ought to be education um, on the basis of scientific knowledge. And I think that is what's very important.
0: So um, I'm not sure what the context is in the rest of the world, but in South Africa, we are very used to having a government which is, to be completely frank, filled with idiots. They lack basic economic education, basic political education. And so when you said um, that uh, illegal cigarettes fund uh, terrorist groups, I was thinking, well, for, for a clever person, that would be a reason to legalize cigarettes so you know where that money is going. But the problem is, for so many of our politicians, that would literally be a reason for them to try to make it even more illegal because they just see, oh, wait, cigarettes as an object are being used for bad things, so we have to make it even more illegal. They do this with firearms, so we have a huge problem in South Africa with the proliferation of illegal firearms, which most of them are actually stolen from the military. And I say stolen, I actually mean sold by soldiers to criminals um, and the police. And... Um, but their solution to this proliferation of illegal firearms is to just make legal firearms even more restricted and make them even more illegal, which doesn't help anything. Um, but also, you mentioned uh, education, which actually leads into my next question. And also, it's something which I don't like doing, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because it's my responsibility, which is playing devil's advocate. Right so we again. know to- tobacco is unhealthy. Um and it, so we know it's unhealthy, and you've mentioned um, that education should be the role that government plays uh, in order to address this. But, what, but we also know that there's kind of a, an externality involved with um, cigarette smoking. So with secondhand smoke, there's more than just the person smoking who's being damaged. So in South Africa, they want to uh, put restrictions on smoking in public and also mandatory distancing between smokers and non-smokers there's a hang of a lot towards the regulations because, as I said, our um, politicians don't know what the hell they're doing. But um, is there any room for um, for this sort of regulation and this form of um, social engineering? I'm very bad playing devil's advocate, you can see. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, does the government have responsibility to limit cigarettes damage on society and how far can it go?
1: So, I mean... You have to ask a question like, "What is actually enforceable?" I mean, even if it were to be desirable, how is it even enforceable, right? I mean, it's a bit like the social distancing rules of one and a half meters, but then it, you just, you just—I mean, if if you've actually traveled different countries a bit, and I, I, I assume that in South Africa right now you don't have the ability to to travel much, but me having traveled, I see that that the that this is very limited in what you can actually do. Um, or to, like when it comes to secondhand smoke, we need to understand that secondhand smoke has is 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 highly scientifically disputed if it has any effects in open air spaces. So if you're standing next to somebody who smokes on the bus stop, the the, the idea that you would have adverse health effects of standing next to next to this person for two minutes, I think uh, is highly disputed, if not uh, a bit irrational to 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 believe. I think what consumers need to do is apply a bit of common sense, and I think that also is my appeal to to some of the smokers. Because, as somebody who who also smokes myself, I, I think there is some some good practice to apply. Because some people feel bothered by cigarette smoke, and I think it's it's important as adults to understand and respect that, and um, that the your parents told you to grow up and to become an adult and i think the idea to go back to the government and ask the government to solve all of these interpersonal problems is a sign of not having grown up um, it's a sign of still needing a nanny still needing somebody to solve your, your 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 disputes and i and i think that's important to understand so there is some so it's, there's, there's some social responsibility for smokers to go about and i also think that when smokers act irresponsibly and like, you know, they litter and then they, they they blow smoke in somebody's face, that is not helping anyone. I think it doesn't make a good case to um, for people like me who try to convince governments that there ought to be more common sense and there ought to be less restrictions on individual liberty. If you want to help the cause of individual liberty, lead by example and act as a responsible individual within while still exercising your individual right to do as you please. So just be respectful of your surrounding. I think that's very important to know. I don't think that the government has a role in enforcing any perimeters around smokers because, I mean, even in order to enforce that, you would have to run a sort of police state. And I think nobody in their right mind really wants that. Uh, So so no, I don't think that, that that is necessary or desirable.
0: Oh, definitely. And I think that a huge problem with governments and democracies in general is that people are very passive aggressive and they don't want to actually do the confrontation themselves. So instead of just asking a smoker, um, excuse me, um, could, you know, go over there slightly and you know, being polite, they would rather lobby for smokers to not be able to smoke at all. Um. I think it speaks to cowardice and passive aggression in the society and it's a culture, a political culture that we need to eliminate. Also, um, last thing on the secondhand smoking thing, um, we, also, we know that there's plenty of problems with other things in the air as well, um, car fumes and pollution. So if we're going to actually be consistent with the, pro- the externality problem of um, secondhand smoke, we're also going to have to ban basically cars. Which is just the general thing if you actually look at statistics cars are one of the most dangerous things out there but no one ever thinks about banning them i don't give them ideas to try (laughs) (laughs) um hopefully if we can get uh, um them to piss off motorists then we will win the revolution (laughs) um
1: if, if, but, I may, if I may, um, if I may yeah. speak to, to, to that last point, because I don't want to get the impression across that I'm just attacking smokers here for for the sake of it, because I think there's also, an, there needs to be an understanding from non-smokers that we, and I, I, I assume, just, just correct me if I'm wrong, I, I, I would assume that uh, smoking indoors in pubs, bars is illegal in South Africa, right?
0: Uh, we have like smoking rooms
1: right but okay they're
0: very restricted yes
1: yes um, so i, I had the situation when i was in, in brussels that um, i was smoking a cigarette on a terrace and a lady asked me to stop and uh, and i said well you have to understand the following we had when the conversation came in about smoking bans indoors the government said okay here's the consensus is that the smokers ought to go outside and in the summer it's not a problem because there's good weather outside but in winter um uh, you will have to sort of like pull through it's it's it it, that's sort of the consensus we agree on and then the non-smokers have a have their have a better environment inside that was the consensus now to backtrack on that and now also make a claim about the outside just shows that within a few years you are you are willing to backtrack on the supposed consensus that you suggested to people in the first place and I think that's just very unfair uh, and, and, and here I, I appeal to just you know finding f- finding best practices in your interpersonal life and, 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 and not try and phone the police or the government every time you have a problem so it goes both ways absolutely
0: Exactly. So I don't smoke, but I'm, I've got family and friends who smoke, and I noticed that they've become increasingly more defensive about smoking over the years. So in years ago they wouldn't mind if someone just asked them to you know back away slightly, but now because they feel under attack because they are, they have become more and more aggressive. And I don't I think people from both sides don't realize that there is a cycle of hostility that needs to stop and it needs to stop with decorum. And to stop bringing the government into things, because uh, snitches get stitches. Uh, yeah, if do you, don't, you have any, um... <laughs> uh,
1: If if you don't defend the right of your if your neighbor to act on um, act out his individual liberty, then uh, what reason does he or she have to defend your right? I mean, sort of this this, this goes both ways. Um, you have to understand that eventually the government is going to come for something you like because we all in one way or the other have vices and uh, and and i think the argument used now against smoking is very very similar to the argument used against alcohol and it's going to be this exact same argument used to for instance suggest that we ought to tax fatty and salty products and uh, mm. and 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 and, sh- and reduce sugar so i mean all of these things uh, are going to come back at you if you don't defend the right of people who smoke or who like to enjoy a drink so um uh, that, that's that, that's that's real, a realization that you make because even from the side of free marketeers, I sometimes see people who say, "Well, I don't particularly care about smoking," but they should they need to understand that smoking is just a representation of the larger problem. The the crackdown on smoking is just a paternalism that, that 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 increasingly becomes the reality of government policy.
0: Exactly, we have to fight on that frontier so it doesn't so we don't lose more and more until it gets to the frontier that we actually personally care about. Exactly. Um, do you have any uh, closing statements, anything you want to say before we close out?
1: Gosh, I mean, I, I, I really hope that somebody with uh, with uh, a political responsibility is able to uh, uh, to pick up on these arguments and hear them and, uh, and react to them, because we need more advocates out there in mm-hmm. parliaments or municipal council and elsewhere. Who, who make these sort of arguments uh, the uh, what i would recommend anyone to do is to sort of look at what has happened to us in europe um, we've had for the last decade more and more stringent uh, restrictions on alcohol and tobacco and as a result of that we see more bootleg product products more criminal gangs uh, more and more gang fights as a result of that funding of international terrorism all the things I've, I've laid out and also more and more unsafe products because these these products that people purchase illegally you need to be very very careful with them because you don't know what's in them like you could you could see that as ironic because I mean a cigarette is not a healthy product in the first place but the sort of cigarettes that are that, that are being traded on the illicit market are very very dangerous and receive very bad health effects in the immediate uh, short term, uh f- f- from consuming these products so i i I, w- I would appeal to people to first of all be careful what they buy on the illicit market because you don't really know what's in them and also if you want to make an argument um as to like what prohibition does look towards the, the restrictive policies in europe and what they have done now even though we've in europe countries haven't had it as bad as South Africa. Uh, sorry, sorry. South Africa hasn't had it as bad as, 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 as many European countries, actually, when it comes to COVID-19. And we have not chosen to, to, to ban the consumption of, of, of cigarettes. Actually, in, even in, in Canada, uh, cannabis retailers were still considered to be an essential business. And you could still even buy legal cannabis even during the pandemic. Um, but the move towards paternalism, more and more restrictive paternalism, mm-hmm. um, has had very, very adverse effects. And I think people ought to take a look at that um and and see what conclusions can be drawn for south africa because that sort of consumer behavior and that those market incentives are the same across uh uh, the world so uh that would be sort of a closing statement try and uh try and talk to your political um uh uh, elected officials and and see if they are receptive to some of these arguments and show them the evidence because there's a lot of it uh, in, in europe and elsewhere
0: and uh, as my closing statement, um, I would like foreign listeners to basically look at South Africa as an example of what not to do, but also to remind them that a dystopian military junta is not some fictitious thing that you just read about in some Hunger Games novel. It's possible and it's very unpleasant. Um, so uh, Bill, uh, thank you for coming onto the podcast. I really enjoyed this chat. I learned quite a lot and i hope that the listeners did as well um, so if their um, listeners are interested in your work and the consumer choice center where can they find you and where can they find the ccc
1: so our website is uh, consumerchoicecenter.org consumerchoicecenter uh the spelling being the american spelling so e r uh, .org and they can find me on twitter at words bill so that's w i r t z bill altogether uh, that's me on Twitter, where I tweet about some of these things, but also other uh, consumer issues across uh, Europe, and uh, and yeah. So on our website, you find all of our recent uh, press statements. Some of our uh, press releases have have also been about South Africa and the situation there, because um, you know we've we, we've been we've gotten our attention drawn to South Africa, and 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 we because of these uh, unfortunately very terrible policies, and we hope that. Um, that that soon they will be reversed and then things can go back to normal Hmm.
0: if you would like to read more about the rational standard you can of course go to rationalstandard.com and if you would like to support us and our writing and all that we do to try to keep you free you can support us on patreon just search for search for rational standard thank you for listening and i will meet you in the next episode